You're listening to the Gordon Damer Show podcast on 98.7 ESPN. Hey, welcome in. It is the Gordon Damer Show. It is 98.7 FM, ESPN New York. Ready to roll on this Thursday edition. Of course, you know the deal. One hour. We run through it all. Take you up till 6 o'clock. The number you know, 1-800-919-ESPN. I am on Twitter, on Instagram, at Gordon Damer. Daily poll question is officially up for the day. And we will get to that in uh, just a short little bit. As, of course, we take you up till 6 o'clock. Golik and Wingo then. But uh, lots of stuff to do today. Moment of inspiration at 5.30-ish. We'll discuss the difference between naive and just plain stupid. You have Stephen A. dropping bombs on the Knicks coaching search. We got to get into that. The NFL cutting down the preseason. I'm sure a lot of people are weeping about that. And yesterday on Twitter, I'm not really sure how it started, but it was um, one of these trending things that you see a lot of people discussing and writing about. The craziest sports stat you've ever seen. So we'll touch on that as well over the course of the next 60 minutes. But you know what? Let's start with the NFL because there was a story yesterday that the league is considering requiring fans attending games this season to sign a waiver, a liability waiver, basically that would shield the teams from any lawsuits if any fans contracted the coronavirus while at games this year. Now, and this is not just something that was, you know, floated out there, put out there to see as a trial balloon. According to The Athletic, the waiver proposal is likely to be forwarded to teams by the middle of next week. So this is something that they are actually discussing and seems like, at least right now, as if something that they are actually going to vote on. And the NFL has been adamant. Damn the torpedoes that they plan to play this season with at least some fans in the stands. Not completely full, right? We had that story, I think it was a week ago, that the first um, few rows are going to be sectioned off and that uh, advertisements will be sold so that the, uh, the they can kind of make up some revenue there. But I don't know if it's mostly full stadiums. I don't know if it's partially full stadiums. But at least with some fans in the stands this year. And the NFL is not stopping there, according to the article on The Athletic. The league is also recommending, as other precautions for fans, cashless transactions, only prepackaged food, having all fans wear masks, and more hand sanitizer throughout the stadium. Basically, anything they can do to get your money. That's what this is. Figuring out a way to get your money. You know, what is abundantly clear at this point, and look, it was abundantly clear even before this, but anything peddled to you as if sports leagues are trying to open up or continue operating, that it's about doing this for fans or doing this as a return to normalcy or that this is part of the healing, or that this is to give people a a much-needed distraction, it's obviously crap. It was crap when when Rob Manfred floated it out there at the beginning of this whole thing that uh, baseball is is always been part of the healing process. Nonsense. 
It's all about getting your money. And look, these are huge corporations that have, I'm sure, huge overhead, and they, they, they want to keep operating if they can. And as we floated out at the time, there is a certain section. If you ever want to create a habit for yourself, the key, they say, is if you can do whatever habit you want to form, if you can do it for a full year, chances are you will keep that habit for the rest of your life. So I'm sure in a sports sense, these leagues have to be concerned that if they're shutting down, like if baseball does not play this year, they, whenever they do open up again, yeah, they'll still have fans, but the, the damage that will be done in terms of bringing new people on board is going to be very, very difficult to overcome for any of these sports leagues. Like if you went a full year without your favorite sport or your second favorite sport, there's a good chance that at least a good portion of people aren't going to go back. So I get it, right? They want to, they're balancing all these things, and it's pretty clear the number one thing that they're balancing is making money. That's what it is. It's a business, more so than anything else, no matter what they float to you. But, you know, there's a difference between being naive and just being stupid. And at this point, to be fair, I think in terms of the coronavirus, there have been times where you've all been naive, right? The, the moment, even before the Rudy Gobert moment, I know I was very naive. And even after the Rudy Gobert moment, I think I was naive to a certain extent, thinking, well, you know what, maybe a month or two when your kids get told that they're going to be homeschooled. Well, you know what, maybe in a month or two, you guys will be back in school. And uh, that did not happen, much to my chagrin. Got to get them back in school in September. That has to happen, but I digress. So we've all been naive at one point. But to think that the NFL is still going to be able or is still going to go forward with the idea to have fans in the stands, and all they have to do is just put a couple of more sanitizer locations is ridiculous. Now, I'll be honest with you. The scary thing is not whether or not the NFL um, has people sign waivers because it's clear that there are people. You know them. You probably have one or two in your life, if not more, that maybe you're one of them, that would have no problem signing away whatever so you can go watch an NFL game, which is on the TV, by the way. You can watch it on TV. So it's clear that there are people that are, if the NFL opens it up for fans and give them the ability, I don't know how many they'll open it up to. Maybe it'll, it depends on what section of the country, right? Maybe uh, certain states are handling this better than others. Uh, so, so maybe, you know, in New York, by that point, things will be a little bit more calm than they are now and that they can open it up to 20,000, 30,000. Whereas in other sections, which are blowing up right now, maybe they, they're not allowed to do anything. But telling fans it's, it's safe to attend a game while requiring them to sign a legal document that prevents the owners from being sued is so completely irresponsible. You want to hear stupid. In the Athletic article, this is a quote. I think I have it correct. In terms of all the things that they would put in place, like one thing you would think, right? Well, maybe temperature checks. We've seen that other places. We've seen that other countries as, as one of the things, not that it's, it's foolproof. 
But this is from the Athletic article. Quote, how teams screen fans medically is still developing, but it is unlikely to involve temperature checks. Why? Well, quote, because fans could always take fever reducers before the game. Wow. Wow. To think that they're – and look, you, you look at the news, you look at the stories, to think that there are people that are so irresponsible that they would know that they have a fever and yet they're still going to attend an NFL game so they'll take a fever reducer and all, in all certainty go and, and infect other people. It's so completely irresponsible. It's almost like it's being floated in fantasy, but it's not. There's also a provision saying that fans might need to provide a biological passport to prove that their health is okay. Look, at the end of the day, I don't think this is going to be an issue because at this point, it seems far more likely to me that there's not going to be a season at all rather than fans attending games in the stands. But boy, oh boy, the NFL has done a better job of convincing fans that you have to be an absolute goofball, an absolute maniac to be a fan. Look at the games, right, when they come back from commercial. They always have, like, that fan in the stands that they show on camera, be it some buffoon in Buffalo who's shirtless when it's two degrees or dressed like a goofball in Cleveland or Miami wearing a mask that you can't even see the game. But the fact that there are people, and it's clear that there are people that are willing to go and and attend games, that they would pay, that's not really all that surprising. The fact that the NFL, and maybe it's not all that surprising that the NFL is going to capitalize on that. But boy, oh boy, talk about a statement of our society, of where we're at, that fans would actually sign a legal document to be able to attend a game where it's clearly not safe, right? Why do you think that they're having you sign a waiver? Oh my goodness. You want to weep for society. There's your weeping of society moment for today. Didn't even uh, throw out the poll question there in the opening segment. Bad job out of me. I blame Brian. Uh, No, it's my fault. Uh, The NFL is considering. No, it's obviously. I'm obviously joking when I say I blame Brian for things because it's not his fault. It's it's me. Uh, But I have learned by watching others. And uh, to be a successful uh, talk show host, sports talk show host, you have to accept all praise and deflect all blame. Now, I don't get a lot of praise, but in terms of blame, anytime it comes, I have to deflect it onto someone else, and I don't have anyone else to deflect it onto. So clearly it's Brian's fault. Uh, The poll question for today, it's up on Twitter, at Gordon Damer. It is the NFL considering the idea of uh, requiring fans to attend games this year, or that do attend games this year, to sign a waiver that would protect the league from a lawsuit if they contracted COVID-19 while at the game. Do you think that any fans will attend NFL games this year. Either yep or nope. Well, the scary thing is, is that I have no question that if they do open it up, there will be maniacs in there watching games. And I mean, look, I don't know what the number would be. Is it 10,000? Is it 20,000? Does it it differ from, from, you know, stadium to stadium? But if you open it up, 
there are going to be people that die as a result of going to NFL. Now, whether or not you can prove that, right? Like, how do you prove that you got the, the, the virus in the four hours or five hours that, um, that you were at there as opposed to other things? I'm sure people that are going to attend NFL games, it's not like they're, they're settling down and, and just quarantining themselves in the house outside of the four hours or five hours at the game. So um, I think it would be very difficult to prove. And I almost feel like at this point, you know, we're talking about uh, the difference between naive and stupidity. If you're going to an NFL game and you know the the situation, I think that that's kind of on you. I think that, you know, whatever happened to like some personal responsibility, you know the deal. Everyone knows the dangers by now. And if you don't know, it's not about being naive. It's about just being stupid. So, but that's not the question. Do you think any fans will attend NFL games this year? I don't think so. And uh, I I think that right now I'm more concerned about just what form the NFL season does take. Now, there's a lot of uncertainty, right? Like, where are we going to be in September and October and November? But you know what? We were saying, oh, in March. Well, who knows where we are in July? And it seems like we're kind of in the same place. It's, it's changed to a certain degree, right? The numbers in New York and New Jersey are all declining, but then they're going up other places. So I don't know. It doesn't really feel like we're in all that much of a different place than we were back then, and we keep expecting, not that there's going to be some moment where somebody waves the white flag and it's all clear, but you'd like to think that. But I, I know back in March and April, I would have thought that by July 1st, things would have been a much uh, further along than they are. Let's put it that way. So if I had a vote, I would say no. Uh, But it's pretty clear that if you allowed fans to go, they would. And if you allow the NFL owners to dictate, I just think that given the health situation around the country, uh, I think that individual states would come out and say that this is irresponsible. But you know what? Who knows? (laughs) Maybe I'm better off not not going down that road because uh, leadership, boy, that's been hard to find, huh? Uh, All right. So yesterday – here on 98.7 FM, ESPN New York, Barton Hahn, 1-3. to three. Stephen A. Smith was on as a guest. And, you know, talking about different things about the NBA restart and the bubble and, and players trying to, you know, navigate that and all those type of things. But Stephen was also asked about the Knicks head coaching search. And, and he just kind of casually kind of dropped this bomb out there about this little tidbit about the Knicks coaching search. So here is Stephen A. on Barton Hahn. I've been already on the record religiously talking about Mark Jackson. Um, now, obviously, I'll shove that aside. If you had an opportunity, like, for example, I've been told that it's entirely possible that Mike Miller might be kept uh, for another year, and then after that you go and you get Doc Rivers away from the Clippers. You know, so who knows whether or not that's going to happen. All right, so there is uh, Stephen A who says he has been told that uh, the Knicks are at least thinking about the idea of keeping Mike Miller and then a year from now bringing in Doc Rivers from the Clippers, which sounds crazy, but as I mentioned in the open, it's the Knicks, so nothing can really be ruled out. But I mean, seriously, what, what are you doing? Now, I, I don't know how much of a, this is really a thought going through the Knicks' head right now. But if it is, what are you doing? And more importantly, how often are you going to do it? And by it, I mean the same thing over and over and over again. This chasing of the big name, 
this chasing of the big star, this chasing of the big free agent, this chasing of the big splash. The only thing that it is is a big mistake. You know, there's this idea, well, when you chase your dreams, never give up on your dreams. Well, sometimes you got to give up. You got to change your approach. If your approach is not working, change it. And the Knicks would be a punchline anyway because of what their record has been over the last, I don't know, basically two decades. That's black and white for everyone to see. But another reason why the organization is looked at as a joke is because, at least in part, of this approach, which has not worked. (laughs) And they keep doing it. A year ago with KD and Kyrie, when LeBron was available, talk about Giannis as a free agent. Oh, well, you know what? Bring in Jason Kidd. He might be able to get Giannis. Jason Kidd couldn't keep the job when he had Giannis. But now he's going to be the key to bringing in Giannis with another play. Newsflash. There's no super pill. There's no magic wand. There's no get-rich-quick scheme. This is not set it and forget it. You are actually going to have to do some work for a change and build something on your own. And I am not some impatient fan who wants it all right now. But to think that the Knicks are at least even contemplating the idea of essentially throwing away another year. Yeah, we'll let Mike Miller coach another year, then we'll get him out of there, and we'll bring in Doc Rivers. The Knicks are almost certainly going to be a lottery team again next year. That's how bad their roster is. I can say that without even knowing what's going to happen in the lottery. But at some point, you got to start putting in the work. you got to start building something on your own. you got to start developing something on your own. And the first step is to stop making all the same mistakes that you have made before. Here's an idea. Make some new mistakes. Try something different. You know, plenty of times, the person you need does not actually exist, right? You'll hear fans bring up all the time, well, you know, this whatever team, say the Yankees. The Yankees need to go out and make a deal like they did back when they did this or make a trade like they did or a signing like they did with... And sometimes that guy just isn't available, right? Like for the last few years, it's been talk of, oh, Yankees got to go out and get an ace. They got to get this ace. And sometimes those aces aren't available. Or there's a trade that there's a good chance that the player they're bringing up is just not available. There is a guy available that would seem to check all the, the important boxes for the Knicks in their coaching search. Kenny Atkinson seems like he's the right guy. I get he doesn't have the flashiest name, or maybe the flashiest resume, but he does have a pretty good track record of working with young players, developing young players, and that's what the Knicks need right now. But man, oh man, it's exhausting. What exactly do you think, I mean, Doc Rivers, what do you think Doc Rivers is going to do? I mean, I keep, I hate to keep going back to the same analogy time and time again, but the Knicks keep doing the same thing over and over again, so why not? At this point... Bringing in Doc Rivers. You ever see the TV show Chopped? They get the, the they get four ingre- four secret ingredients. They don't know what it is until the show starts. They open up a basket, and it's always these weird things, and they got to come up with a meal. Bringing in Doc Rivers right now would it's like being on the TV show Chopped, where the ingredients are an ostrich egg, Rocky Mountain oysters, anchovies, and a pack of Twizzlers. I mean, 
I don't care how great a coach you are. That's not the biggest concern right now. You have to improve the roster, and you have to start to develop some stuff. And if you bring in Doc Rivers, what you're saying is we're, we're going to win now, right? He's an established coach who's about wins and losses in the moment. He's not, you're not bringing in Doc Rivers to be good three years from now. But, man, it must uh, – I'm a Nick fan to a certain degree. I'm not a delusional Nick fan, but it is, it's exhausting trying to comprehend what could possibly be the thought process if they are actually entertaining the idea of, you know, let's keep Mike Miller for a year and then we'll go out – not even Doc Rivers. Scratch Doc Rivers. The established coach route. <laughs> Just essentially saying, you know what, let's give up another year. We got another year to, to throw away. And it would be one thing if you said, well, you know what, because of COVID-19, next year is going to be reduced to, to 30 games or 40 games. It's not going to be a regular season. All right, I guess, okay. I mean, it wouldn't be fine, but at least that, would, that hasn't been established as of yet. But the good news is I don't think the Knicks will do this. The problem is, is the guy who seems like a lock for the job is Tom Thibodeau. And it's essentially the same move right now. And it might actually be worse because Tom Thibodeau does not have a a real reputation of developing. If you go out and get Tom Thibodeau, that's saying we're getting the established big name guy. At least he's available right now. Doc Rivers, is his contract even up in a year? So the Knicks would be going down the road of, hey, let's give up some assets to bring in the coach when we don't have any actual assets. Has a team ever given up assets for somebody, and then the person who they gave up the assets for says, no, I don't want to go there? If it ever did happen, it would be the Knicks. You know, I've heard it floated other places about uh, what would be the, the first thing you would do if you, were, if you were the Knicks. If you were running the Knicks right now, what would be the first thing you would do? Well, the first thing you would do is I would tell them to take your medicine, do the work, Stop looking to get rich on Bitcoin and stop making the same mistakes over and over and over again. This is going to be a process. You're going to have to go through a couple of years of trying to actually develop your own players. Stop always looking for the shortcut because the shortcut has not worked time and time and time again. And from where you are right now, there is no shortcut to get where you should want to get. And that is being an actual title contender after year after year after year of watching things just fall apart. 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. So uh, coming up, we'll get some phone calls involved. Also, I don't know how it got started yesterday on Twitter, but the conversation a lot of people were talking about was the, the one sports stat that you know that just still even blows your mind. And a lot of people brought up uh, some good ones, some I knew, some that I didn't know. But to me, there is one clear-cut winner. And now look, you know, it's open to interpretation. But to me, there's one stat that always blows my mind, and I think it's the best one out there, so I'll give you what it is coming up. One, two... He loops that to left field. Going to be a tough play. Jeter on the run. Makes the play. And flies into the stands. Oh, what a play by Derek Jeter. 
All right, your moment of inspiration for this uh, Thursday morning, the anniversary of the uh, Jeter dive into the stands. I think it was actually yesterday, but don't tell anybody. We'll use it for today, your moment of inspiration for uh, this uh, Thursday morning. And Derek Jeter actually had some interesting comments about uh, the relationship between uh, players and owners in uh, Major League Baseball. And <laughs> it's not really an original thought, but uh, that there is none, right? There is no trust between the owners and players. But to hear Derek Jeter uh, have that take uh, is a little bit more interesting since he was a former player and is now uh, currently an owner. But maybe we'll get into that before uh, things run out of time here. But I did notice yesterday on Twitter, and uh, the poll question is up for today. Did I mention that? It's up for today on Twitter at uh, Gordon Damer about the NFL. Do you think that there will be any fans in attendance at NFL games this year? And I said no. Uh, yes is winning so far rather handily. And I guess it's because people realize if you give fans the opportunity to attend games, they will attend games. I just don't think – I guess it kind of depends on what you think the, 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 the projection of the virus is going to be when the NFL season comes along. Do you think that by September – things will be far better than they are right now? I mean, it's still a couple of months. Or do you think that it'll probably be worse? And uh, I guess maybe part of me is a a little negative at this point that things are going to be be all that much better because it doesn't really feel like things are all that much better. Maybe in terms of, you know, uh, New York, New Jersey, tri-state area are better, but it doesn't feel like nationally things are better. It feels like things are getting worse. So uh, you can vote on the poll question. It's up on Twitter. But yesterday on uh, Twitter, a lot of people were kind of talking about sports stats that blow your mind. We gave you a couple of them uh, earlier this week. The one about Vince Carter, uh, his career he played, I think it was against 37% of everyone who has ever played in the NFL, uh, in the NFL, in the NBA. That would be something. He played against 37%. Wow, Vince Carter is unbelievable. Not only has he played against all these NBA players, but he's done it against NFL players, too. He is truly amazing. Now, 37% of everyone who's ever played in the NBA. And then the one about Jerry Rice, his numbers after, uh, I think it was after the age of 40, which are just nuts as well, uh, and after a torn ACL, too. But there were some good ones yesterday that were brought up. But I think the number one for me is clear-cut. But among some of the ones that I did not know, uh, obviously hockey, not big hockey guy. You always have to preface by saying you're not big hockey guy. You never hear that about any other sport. Not big baseball guy. No, people, they can have any comment they want about baseball, take whatever shots they want to take at baseball, never have to declare not big baseball guy. I think everybody's a big football guy. So you never hear, "Ah, I'm not a big NFL fan. Never hear that. NBA, not really either. It's only hockey. Hockey's the only one you ever hear. Eh, not a big hockey guy. But this one to me is, is pretty good. If you removed all of Wayne Gretzky's goals, he would still lead the NHL in total points. That's a pretty good one. Got to admit, even though not big hockey guy, that's a pretty good stat. Larry Fitzgerald, in his career in the NFL, I think this was brought up by Field Yates. I'll give him credit, even though he might not deserve it. Larry Fitzgerald has more career tackles than he does drops. That's a pretty good one, too. That, that's, pretty, that's pretty impressive. Now, for me, you know, I think baseball is the, is the sport that you can always go to and pull stats from. So Barry Bonds, I mean, he has a ton of them. He was intentionally walked 120 times in one season. <laughs> 
Gee, I wonder why. Intentionally walked 120 times. Uh, Tony Gwynn has some great ones about not striking out. His career numbers against uh, Greg Maddox are amazing. Buster Only uh, had one about Stan Musial. Stan Musial has the exact same total of hits on the road and at home in his career. I think it's like 1,815 or something like that. Nolan Ryan had 12 one-hitters in his career, so he already had seven no-hitters, so he had 12 one-hitters. That's pretty pretty crazy. To me, the number one, and look, you'll say, because you're biased, you're a Yankee fan, all these kind of things, the number one stat of all time, and I don't really even think it's, it's debatable, is another guy who there's a bunch, right? Like Tony Gwynn, you can run down a bunch. Bonds, obviously. But the number one, Mariano Rivera. And the stat is, the fact is, more people have walked on the moon than have scored a a run against Mariano in the postseason. That, to me, is the most mind-boggling one of all. A guy who pitched in the postseason just about every single year, right? Like 2008, he didn't make it. And I think the one year he was hurt, he didn't make it. But other than that, he was there every – and the Yankees, it wasn't like they were mostly one and done. They had deep playoff runs. And, and here's a guy who, despite pitching all that, not only got better in the postseason, his postseason ERA, better than his regular season ERA. His postseason ERA, I think, is uh, .70. .70. That's ridiculous. But more people have walked on the moon, 12, than have scored a run against Mariano in the postseason. And he was a guy that it certainly feels like could have kept going. Like, what did he retire? I think he retired at like 42. Maybe he was older than that. No, he was 43. Excuse me. But you take a look at even his final year, 43. It feels like he could still, I mean, do you think that Mariano could come into a game right now and get guys out? It feels like he could. Now, maybe that's, again, my own bias. His final year in baseball. Let me get the stats here. I have them here somewhere. Um... Final year, 43 years old. He pitched to a 2.11 ERA. Uh, 60 games. 60, what what was the innings? 64 innings. And uh, had an ERA of 2.11 and 44 saves. I mean, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. And uh, certainly the, the fact that more people have walked on the moon Maybe maybe it's just the fact that more people have walked on the moon. That If you could come up with any other stat where, where the number that you're trying to work to is only 11, well, then that stat would probably seem more impressive as well. But, I mean, again, he was in the postseason every single year. World Series runs sometimes, you know, losing the, in the World Series in 2003, but another deep run there. And it's not to say that he was perfect in the postseason. Obviously, uh, he had uh, you know the the Diamondbacks won the the Indian series in '97, but that that's a that's a hard one to top. More people have walked on the moon than have scored a run against you in the postseason. That's pretty nuts. Quick programming note: No show tomorrow at 5 a.m. because I will be filling in for DiPietro Canty and Rothenberg from 10 to 1. So that means, I don't know if we'll do a, a net picks and chill pick for uh, tomorrow. I can simply say, I'm sorry. I apologize publicly. I, I, I welcome your scorn. If you were one of our listeners who took my advice 
and watch the so Giri or Jiri Haji on Netflix. We recommended that a couple of weeks ago. And I did so with the caveat that I had not seen the entire show. But at least through, I think it was either three or four episodes, very, very strong. Really was into it. Started out so promising. It's about a uh, detective in Tokyo who has to go to uh, London and investigate a crime which may or may not involve his brother, who was believed to be dead. But it started out really strong. The writing was strong. It had some humor in there thrown in, so it, was, it wasn't just all dark and gloom and doom the whole time. First three, four episodes, it was great. It's fantastic. Couldn't wait to watch the next episode. So I was talking to it uh, about, about the show with my wife. So then she says she wants to watch it. So then we have to watch it together. So then I got to start the whole thing all over again. So somewhere, I guess it was probably, I think there's only eight episodes. But somewhere around, I think it was episode number six or seven, I started to say, you know, this is, this is it's not progressing as I would like here. It's not developing as a show should, right? Like, I know it only has eight episodes, and it's still got a lot of loose ends to tie up here. And then the eighth episode, the finale. Oh, I'm not going to spoil it for people that have started to watch it, and maybe they are enjoying it. I don't know. I will just say, and this is, I'm not joking when I say this. It's a crime show. And a crime show has a certain tone to it. But there is a scene in the final episode where the characters on the show take part in an interpretive dance. They start dancing. Now, there's not, they don't start dancing at any other part of the show. Final episode. The show is in color. It cuts to black and white. And they start doing an interpretive dance. It might have been the greatest dance in the world. I don't know. I can't judge these things. My wife says she didn't hate it as much as I did. I think that that's not possible for anyone to hate it more than I did. So I will just say, maybe we got it. Maybe me. I even can't even blame Brian on this one. I was the one who suggested the show. Loved but, it. What's that? You loved it. I was so, it was, I'm telling you, through three episodes, so strong. So strong. And then I don't know what happened. I can't imagine being in the room when they're floating the idea for the show and you get the script and every, you know, you do the, like the run through. Hey, let's see who lives. Let's see who dies. I don't know if there's going to be a second season. I'm out either way. And then you get to the page. Everyone breaks into an interpretive dance. What? Who thought that was a good idea? I've never written a TV show, but it almost seems like something out of a, of a skit on Saturday Night Live. Terrible. So bad. I apologize. There's, no, there's nothing else I can say. I'm sorry. It is the Gordon Damer Show. It is 98.7 FM ESPN New York. Do you have the Derek Jeter sound? Because I did want to hear that as well and play that for the audience, Brian. Let's hear yes, Derek Jeter. This is him, obviously, now as an owner, former player, talking about one of the problems of baseball, the big problem, which we all kind of know, is that the players and owners don't trust each other. It was disappointing. It was embarrassing at times, the back and forth. Um, but there's a lot of trust that, that needs to be, um, you know, there, there is no trust, I should say, is the best way to put it. But, and, uh, you know, hopefully 
things will change moving forward. But it was pretty, pretty sad to see the back and forth being played out publicly in, in a time like now. And, uh, you know, we have so many people filing for unemployment throughout the country, over 30 million people, 40 million people um, with no jobs. And they, they really don't want to hear owners and players going back and forth about uh, how much money they deserve and how much money they need. And I, I get it. Look, I, I was a player. And, uh, you know, I, I feel as though the players should fight for everything that they feel as though they should have. And uh, I'll always support them in that sense. But in this particular case, I, I think something should have been done behind the scenes. All right, so there's Derek Jeter. I mean, I don't think that many people can really disagree with him on the overall thought the the players and owners don't have any trust for each other. And, uh, you know, everybody always says, well, this is something we need to improve. It, it doesn't ever feel like there's been any real improvement on that. And I would simply say, uh, Derek Jeter, while it's nice that he says this as an owner, I think that the main thing is, is moving forward, if you want to build any trust whatsoever, the owners have to stop doing things that are untrustworthy, right? Like if somebody keeps doing things to you, that's, that makes them untrustworthy until they show that they're going to stop doing those things. It's really kind of hard to build any trust if you repeatedly do things that make you question the other person's motives and, and tactics. But uh, as we've been talking this Thursday morning on the Gordon Damer Show, 98.7 FM ESPN New York, um, maybe the criticism received by Major League Baseball, maybe it'll be diminished by some of the things that we have seen uh, in other sports. I don't think so, because Major League Baseball, it's not the number one sport by far, clearly. We can tell that. Uh, but considering some of the things that are going on, and at least they're being floated out there in the NFL, it's always going to be the most popular, or at least it is right now. Who knows what things will, will be uh, you know, down the road. So any criticism will always be somewhat stifled by the fact that we just love the sport so much. But the news yesterday from The Athletic, the story from The Athletic yesterday that the league is considering requiring fans to attend games this year or that do attend games this year to sign a waiver. Basically waiving any responsibility or liability, I guess would be the right term, for the NFL that would shield the team from any lawsuits over the coronavirus. Uh, And the fact that this is not just some kooky thing that was floated by one person or another – According to the story, the waiver proposal is going to be forwarded to teams sometime next week, and I would assume that, uh, that it's going to be voted on by those teams. And this is it, it kind of ties into what the NFL's approach has been this entire time, that they plan to play the season, and there are, there are owners out there. I just saw a story from Pro Football Talk. The Dolphins owner expects to play games this year with fans in the stands. I don't know if that is uh, just naive. I think it's just plain stupid. I mean, at this point, it's kind of hard to say that it's naive anymore when the story has been the top story, the number one story since March. We are now into July. And that the NFL is still continuing to go forward with this plan to at least have some fan. I don't know if it's mostly full. I don't know if it's partially full. I don't know if it's 10,000. I don't know if it if, if it if it. The plan gets altered from from state to state. But the league is doing anything that they can do to get fans in the stands. And it's pretty clear that they're doing so so they can simply get your money. And that's all it is, figuring out a way to get your money. And I get that the financial aspect of things for everybody is a factor. And clearly for professional sports, 
it's the number one factor. If it wasn't the number one, if health and safety were the number one factor, everything would shut down for the year. But I think that there's a responsible way to do things. I don't know if the NFL can, can truly do anything here uh, that's completely responsible just based on how the sport is played and how many people are required to play the sport. But that will be determined over time. The idea that you are floating, that you are putting some, some things in place, including having fans sign a waiver, that to me is not just being naive. That's being just plain out stupid. And, and, and look, stupidity is not in short supply. Because if you're a fan, just know, if you're a fan that is going to games, NFL games this year, and there's 10,000 or 20,000 people at each game, there will be people who die as a result of a tent. Now, it will be tough to prove. I think it would be very, you know, people say, oh, well, you know, the waiver won't stand up in court. Well, every time you attend a game, you're essentially signing a waiver about, you know, uh, if a ball hits you or all those type of things. So I think it would be very difficult to prove in court that you contracted the virus only in the four hours or five hours or three hours that you were at the NFL game. I'm assuming if you're going to NFL games, it's not like you're locking yourself down in quarantine all the other parts of your day. But telling fans that it's safe to attend a game while requiring them to sign, I would, you would have to say, a legal document that prevents the team from being sued, uh, to me, it's, it's outlandish, it's responsible, and, and mostly it's just plain stupid. And the, the scariest part of the athletic story to me was uh, the idea, well, why, why wouldn't you have uh, temperature checks, right? We've seen that other places. Quote, how team screen fans medically is still developing, but it's unlikely to involve temperature checks because fans could always take fever reducers before the game. So here you have people that would be willing to attend a game, knowing everything we know, everybody knows it by now, and that they would take a fever reduce. Oh my God, that this is where we are. One eight hundred nine one nine ESPN. All right, let's squeeze in a couple of phone calls here as we uh, get to up till six. Uh, Eric is in Manhattan. Eric, what's going on, my man? Hey, good morning, Gordon. Hey, I, I happen to agree. You know, you know what's gonna happen. You know, a lot of fans they're gonna show up in groups of ten, maybe fifteen. They're not gonna have masks. They're not gonna have Purell. And what's gonna happen? You know, they they are gonna start spreading that stuff. And then maybe a month into the season, maybe a month and a half, we're gonna get the flu season. And now we're gonna have like a, a Corona, a flu, a Voltron, and they they don't care. They walk around like you know, it's a big hassle to wear that li- that little mask. Well, look, as I, Eric, as I brought up before, uh, I, you know, I, I'm not a doctor. I don't know all these things. And, Eric, thanks for the call. Um, I just know for, being selfish. We're all selfish to a certain degree. I know if it, if it helps by 1% wearing a mask out in public of me not having to be my kid's teacher next year, I would wear women's underwear on my head if I thought it would help. I'll wear it from now until Labor Day. If I thought there was even a 1% chance of increasing the likelihood that I don't have to teach my kid at home next year. So uh, to me, this is just completely irresponsible. And I realize there are a lot of irresponsible people out there. And if you opened it up to fans, there's no question that they would there, there would be a section of the NFL fan base that would be more than happy to attend games and spend money and show up and uh, put themselves in harm's way. But to me, I think at some point it becomes... Uh, maybe even bigger than the NFL. Maybe it becomes about uh, individual government saying, no, this is, I mean, are you guys crazy? 
having 20,000 people in a big group setting? Because it's not like all these stadiums are even outdoors. Some of them are indoors. So it's just absolutely crazy. I thought that the crazy part of the day was going to be talking about Doc waiting a year for the Knicks to go get Doc Rivers. Uh, no, no, the Knicks do crazy things all the time. Unfortunately, they're the same crazy thing time and time again and can't figure out why it won't work. Very, very strange. Can we squeeze in one more here, Brian? Let's squeeze in Eddie in Brooklyn. Do we got Eddie in Brooklyn or are we running out of time? Eddie in Brooklyn. Hey, what's up, Gordon? This is Eddie. Um, first of all, I said good morning to all my fellow laptops out there. Listen, man, I just heard you on the radio talking about how the NFL want fans in the um, put fans in the um, in the stands with the stuff going on. You know, it's about the money, man. So you know, they got to get their money however they get it. But now, if we the fans, we go out there. We, I kind of, I, I, I hate to say it, but like. You deserve what you get, man, because you know what you're going out there with out there. Eddie, That's you know why what? That's why that waiver. Yeah, I mean, look, I, we got to run. I agree with you, right? Like, I don't think you should need to sign a waiver. If you are going to NFL games this year and you know because it, it's not like some secret thing. Oh, I didn't know that. It's everywhere, right? It's, it's, it's every single day here from month on month on month. If you go to games this year, then, yeah, the, the responsibility is on you. How about a little personal responsibility once in a while? If you attend games and you contract it, that's on you. No need for a waiver. All right, that's going to do it for us for today. Tomorrow, 10 to 1. We'll see you then. 98.7 FM ESPN New York. This is the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN.